So welcome to another show, guys. Today we have Sarah Burrows, who is a career change and new business coach. So welcome to today's show, Sarah. Thank you very much for having me. Very excited to get started. So can you just explain what you mean by a career change coach and new business coach, first and foremost? Yes. So I support people to transition out of a job that gives them either the dread on a Sunday or doesn't fulfill them and they don't see themselves doing it for the next five to 10 years. And I help them to discover a job or a business that excites them to go to work on a Monday or that fulfills them and lights them up and gives them a sense of purpose. So whether that is another career path or career trajectory, or that is setting up a new business and being an entrepreneur. So is this a case of moving out of the corporate rat race into something that you're passionate about and have an ability? And what what sort of variables do you look for or to help that person? Or is it a case of them coming to you saying, this is the direction I want to head. How do I end up going about moving in that direction, essentially? So it's definitely not necessarily about getting out the corporate rat race for everybody. Uh, every People come really with their completely different desires. Typically, people don't know where they want to go, which is why they come to me. So they just know they don't like where they are. They're not sure what else to do because no one's taught them. No one's talked to them about it. No one's gone at school in the school curriculum. You know, how do you find a job that you're going to actually love? So people typically don't know the direction. They don't know if it's leaving corporate. They don't know. I've got one client and she's staying in corporate, um, but changing slightly her role, all whilst also becoming um, an entrepreneur on the side and being a Pilates instructor. So not necessarily leaving the corporate industry, but changing from being in an agency and marketing to kind of being in-house for a sports brand. So is that is that transition, though, based on the financial affordability of being able to not jump shit necessarily and say, well, actually, I need to keep this job to help pay the mortgage or pay rent, for example, but I want to then develop a plan to start this passion that I have of something that I'm good at and I want to help um, help and service people, but also do it mm-hmm. for fulfillment as, as well. Is that a case of trying to balance both of those together? For some people it is. For that client, not as much. She actually wants to do both. Um, and, and that's something that you can do that I think sometimes people don't realise they can do two jobs. I do two jobs. I have two, two slightly separate careers. Um, but equally... A lot of people do set up a business and also stay within an industry as well because of affordability and financial stability. And, it, you know, businesses are far more successful when you do set them up part time um, than if you do it full time. I can't remember the exact stats. Someone did give it to me the other day. So you're three or four times more likely to succeed um, five years down the line if you set it up Um part-time instead of full-time so for a lot of people it is that transition but this client actually she that's just a split that she wants in her career so do you do you look for so the, the example I've, I've given on other other shows when I'm talking about because I, I do I work as a coach not going to go too much into my stuff but if we look at someone like Roger Federer they are obviously world's best tennis player at some point and maybe they didn't go into it thinking of the monetary reward that they're going to get they did tennis on the basis of they're very good at it as a a child they're passionate about it and because you are good at something and passionate about it 
you're probably more likely to work hard in, in that area. Do you ever find that with clients as well, where they have certain gifts, but they want something else? So everyone's jealous of each other, aren't they, in some respects? So, oh, I would love to be a doctor. I'd love to be this. But actually, they have different gifts. Is it? Are you there to help them work out what gifts they have as well to give them yeah. insights to where they should be moving forward? Yeah, I love that example because you're right. You're so much more likely to work hard because you're working towards something you enjoy. Like if you're passionate about it, usually you enjoy it, but also that you're good at naturally. Therefore, it's easier to work harder at something you're naturally good at than work hard at something that you're not. So loads of companies are changing their culture now to enhancing people's strengths not focusing on people's weaknesses so you know you do like a SWOT analysis your strengths and your weaknesses and it's like okay how am I going to work on my weaknesses well actually people are recognizing that you get far more enjoyment and far more out of staff in environment if you focus on people's strengths so you're completely right and that is exactly what I help people do so I break down help people to break down kind of a combination of their skills and their strengths and their values and what they enjoy because People often will know this stuff. I'm, it's not, I'm not teaching them anything necessarily new a lot of the time. But sometimes they are. And sometimes things surprise them. Sometimes things come up that they're not expecting to come up. And it's because no, you've never spent the time unpicking what your values are. Or you've never spent the time unpicking what are your skills and what are your strengths. And on that, breaking down the difference between your learned strengths and your core strengths. So an example of that, for me, detail is not what I'm good at. I'm really good at talking to people. I'm really good at coaching, but I'm not very good at detail. I can do it because I've learned to be good at it. So if someone asked me what my strengths were, if, and I used to do a job where it was a prerequisite for the role that I needed to be good at detail, and so I learned to be good at it. So if you asked me also what my strengths are, I would include this category of what I'm good at, but it doesn't light me up. And so what you have to do when you're also looking at your strengths is, is separate your learned strengths. So the strengths that you have learned to be good at, like those weaknesses that you focused on so much so that you can do them versus your core strengths. And your core strengths are the things that you're naturally good at they're the strengths that most people kind of come come up with first, but some people don't. Some people come up straight with the, the kind of all of their strengths, some of which are learned. And the way to distinguish them is your core strengths are the strengths that give you enjoyment and you find really easy, but so much so that you really think it's a strength. So you can be so good at something that you think everyone else can do it because it's so easy to you. You then don't say, oh, this is a strength because like this is just so easy like can everyone not do that and I genuinely thought that about myself I didn't realize that a couple of my strengths were strengths until someone else told me that not everyone else can do it and I suddenly started to recognize my worth a bit as well in in certain industries that I was then kind of given the confidence to actually go for and think I was good enough to do it because I'd also recognized my strengths as a whole thing there on strengths about kind of your learned strengths your core strengths but also recognizing them as strengths as well especially when it's a core strength of yours that you just find you could do it in your sleep that surely everyone can do that right like it's so easy everyone must be able to do that I love the compliment example because I'm a real advocate for that as well is that 
people don't give compliments out very lightly, I don't find. Yeah. And if they are genuinely complimenting you saying they've plucked up the courage to come up to you and say, you're very good at this. And you hear the same thing 10, 15, 20 times. It's like, actually, is this something I should be doing? I think the other point mm-hmm. you made as well is great with regards to weaknesses. You should work on your strengths as opposed to your weaknesses. Now, I actually think there's two types of weaknesses, though. There are unrelated weaknesses. So let's say, again, you're a tennis player and you're really bad at maths. Working on maths is, is irrelevant because it's unrelated, whereas maybe your your serve and your forehand is good, but your backhand needs work that's going to help with your primary goal. Is it a case of, because you, you mentioned core, core strengths and, and ones that you have a natural gift for, is it maybe a case of going back in time to when you were a child and working out, you know, what were you at school? Were you good at maths? Were you good at socialising? Were you good at selling sweets in the playground? What What is it you were good at? Is that something that you look at when you speak with clients? It's not, but it's a really interesting perspective that I wouldn't discount at all to think about. I, I think usually clients with a bit, it is uncomfortable doing strengths. I really enjoy doing it as a session because people aren't used to doing it. And so uh, people always feel really uncomfortable going there and talking about themselves in that way. But I usually get a good enough picture without going back. However, I do really like that. And I do ask that question in the kind of career in the second stage of my program, which is once you know who you are and the strengths and the skills and things, what else could you do? And I do use that concept of what did you do when you were younger? Were you there building Lego, being really intricate, looking at that kind of strategic or were you out, you know, being active outside, talking to people like the extroverty behavior that you might see? So I do and, and ask people as well, like, what did you want to do when you were little? You know, what did you want to do when you were younger? And the, as I said, it's in the second stage What you know, what do you want to do before you put all these limitations on yourself about what you couldn't do? You know, the oh, I'd love to do that, but all of those things, you know, what is it that you wanted to do when you were younger? So I do weave it into my coaching and to the career change, um, but not necessarily in um, relation to weaknesses. However, like I said, I might might start trialling that question now. So so what do you mainly look for then? If, is that sort of something that you're you're currently focused on what are your sort of core areas that you look for as you said I know there's a it's a quite a broad question isn't it because you've got some clients who know exactly what they're going to do they're going to stick with their corporate job and they're going to start this business and maybe it's more of a mentorship from you saying how do I go about doing that whereas maybe on the other end of the scale it's I don't know what I need to do I don't know what I want to do with my life etc so how does that differ and what is your sort of core structure of how you help people to either change the career or start that new business as well? So I, I do start with the strengths and things. I start with those values and those strengths and those skills and then breaking down what, what do you enjoy so that you've got a foundation of who you are rather than when people go for a job search and they see a job description and they say, oh, can I do those things? Instead of that approach, it's there about flipping it and saying, actually, does that match who I am? You know, I've got a list now. We've done the work. It's, it's you know, it's there. It's on paper. It's black and white. Does that fit me? And that does that company culture fit me? Does that job fit me? So the first stage is, who are you? Like, who are you that wants to go to work? Who are you that you want to take to work? What is the authentic person that is you that you want? What identity do you want to uphold at work? So I start with that. That's like the first stage. And then the second stage is idea generation. So it's 
what could you do? Like everything, anything goes. And and taking those limitations off that we've put on ourselves and saying, you know, your career is however many years long. If you're 30, you've still got another 35 years left. That doesn't, you know, you want to be a pilot or a doctor, like you can still train and still do that job for 20 odd years, even if you train for 10 years. And obviously that's not for everyone, but it's opening, I, I call it opening Pandora's box of just including everything. And I also include some resources to help people kind of see jobs that they didn't know. So it's a combination of coaching and mentoring because there are resources out there that have got algorithms that will show you jobs that you can do. Um, but there's another great exercise um, for anyone who's listening called the nine lives exercise. And that is a coaching exercise. I'm assuming, I'm assuming it's on Google um where you if you had nine lives it's what career would you do in each of those so again it just kind of is one of those coaching tools that just brings you out of your own reality and your own societal norms to say oh what could I do if I if I want to do anything if confidence if I had all the confidence and all the money in the world what would I do and like opening that up and then we start putting then we start mapping those jobs against well, we do a bit of research, but then we map them against the first stage of who are you going back to those skills and strengths and actually saying, okay, that seems like a nice idea, but realistically, is it? And that then funnels it down. So you have this funnel where you put all the skills and the strengths and the values and this, all the stuff we've done to narrow it down. And then there's a kind of pool of jobs. So then they usually choose one of those to explore and take further. So you mentioned a few things there. I, th- I think the nine life thing is really good, especially in today's day and age where you can have nine different careers, one per decade, essentially. And obviously we're not, we're just assuming people are going to live to 90 for as an example. But if we go back 30, 40, 50 years, so if you're a builder, you're a builder indefinitely. Mm. Because of the, the the fast changing pace of the world, we can, we can, we can flip between things. You also mentioned limiting beliefs there. You think that's a, the, the first major hurdle that people have? I'm too old. I haven't got enough money. I'm living in this location, et cetera, et cetera. Do you think that's the first hurdle to get past before you then, once you've opened their mind to other options, then trying to plant those seeds? Yeah, especially for people who are sort of a bit more detailed analytic. They find the sort of blue sky thinking a bit out of their comfort zone. And so it is then practically I couldn't do that but also people hold some quite a lot of assumptions that feed into that narrative of that belief of what something looks like so I get all the time I couldn't be an entrepreneur I've had clients literally tell me I couldn't do what you do and one of them said I couldn't do what you do because being an entrepreneur is so stressful and sometimes that is just your your brain feeding a narrative that you you haven't actually ever questioned that assumption. And I, I said to my client, I questioned her on it and said, do I look stressed to you? <laughs> so have you ever seen me look stressed? And I've run a business for three years. So I've probably been stressed about three, four times during the whole course of it. Like I, I don't run it in that way. And it's about questioning people's assumptions, even if it's just to get them to explore something, just to, and that's the first step. I'm not telling you you're going to actually be a doctor or a pilot, but why don't you go and do some research and actually understand what it's about? Because those beliefs stop us even exploring those options. I'm not, they're not 
stopping you getting the job. They're stopping you even entertaining the idea that you could do something. So yeah, it is one of the biggest hurdles of saying, and you notice it when someone's saying, so if you've got a client and they say, oh, I'd love to be, um, I've got a client at the moment and his background is biological science. And he's saying, oh, I'd love to go into biology, but, but you'd be in the lab and you'd only be doing this. And, and it's always, it depends how much research, because some research might have demonstrated that that sometimes they might have just heard it and that's just their assumption. And sometimes it's just important to not let those assumptions because they're based on our limiting beliefs, which are based around kind of fear and fear of failure and all those other things. And that's one of the core reasons that people don't change careers and people stay in their comfort zone because it's scary as fucking hell, like <laughs> changing everything and telling the world you're going to go out there and do something else. Like you're going to face people who will say things that are uncomfortable. You know, people who do question your your sort of job choice and things, people that d- don't have the same values as you. And so it keeps people stuck. And I often get clients sort of who co- people who come to me for coaching who it's been like three or four years that they've been thinking about it. And it's just taken a little bit longer to go, actually, I really don't want this. I still don't want it. And I don't want to be doing it in five years. And that's what makes them change. But otherwise, they'll stay in their comfort because our brains are wired to do so, right? Like our brains are there to keep you safe. You don't want to be pushing out of your comfort zone to your stretch zone because your brain's like, nope, you're good here. You've got a good salary. You like your colleagues. It's a good career path. You know what you're doing got good maternity pay you know paternity rewards all those things like just gonna stay here yeah it's definitely it's a case of i i think as well confirmation bias whatever you think are your views you can find unlimited information to back that up whether it's good bad or indifferent doesn't really matter and i know that you've got a background in psychology as well did that come into things um such as personality types as an example Yes. So the confirmation bias is exactly what you're saying is that's those people that are saying, I've seen that one thing about that job, which means I can't do it. And then uh, they'll just hear other things. And that's so the psychology that comes into that is something called the reticular activating system, which is part of your brain and called the RAS. And it's like a Google search engine. So if you put into Google, that job is too unsafe or too you know too too stressful you will then google will give you every search result that links to that being too stressful to back it up to give you that evidence and your brain is exactly the same and that's confirmation bias where you're exactly right you say oh i don't want to go for a run today brain you you put that in your brain and it goes yeah it's raining isn't it yeah you did work out yesterday or oh, your legs are or oh, your gym kits in the wash like it just feeds that cycle doesn't it of why you shouldn't do things um and now i've completely gone off on a tangent um, oh and personality profiles yeah so i love a personality profile i think it's something that can really help people to reinforce and solidify what they're good at and where their tendencies are and it can create a big difference for people to lean into that and to own it rather than trying to fit into a crevice into a societal normal into a job and actually say, okay, do you know what? I do like detail. Detail's really important to me. And I'm going to start asking that from people before a meeting. And so I I run DISC personality profiles, um, which is an acronym for four different personality types. So it's 
very similar to Insights, if you've heard of Insights, a uh, bit similar to Myers-Briggs. Yeah, um, Myers-Briggs I'm aware of, definitely. Yeah, so it's basically a slightly, I think, newer Myers-Briggs. A lot of corporate environments use Insights, um, but personality tests, they have their kind of time in the in the spotlight, really, um, a bit of what, whichever's fashionable at the time. But I really think DISC is quite beneficial for people to understand. A lot of people will do personality test as part of a team so they can understand each other better but also I use it for to help people to understand themselves as well so they can see in black and white something that's actually them so what do you think the benefits are is it just the extroversion introversion or is there a bit more to it than that so it's about a 15 page report um it's talking so this the four styles are dominant Oh, this is testing my memory now. Um, cautious, steady, and I, the I, I can't remember, it may be inspirational or something else, but it's, it. the red, the dominant, is kind of very decision-driven based. Um, cautious is more detail, analytical. Steady is more kind of thinking about people, but wanting to move with all the information. And ins- um, inspirational is the people that are really good at bringing people on you're a mixture of between two and three profiles so it's not just either or you're not kind of boxed as much like that at all but it tells you kind of where your dominant one is and then where your secondary are and your and and the third one so it's just I find it really helpful for people to understand what they probably already know about themselves but they've never read like written down or read about themselves and also then to own it a lot of it is around owning owning what you want and working with that rather than, like I said, I had a client and detail for her was really important. So we did her profile and she would get a huge amount of anxiety before a meeting. If somebody put in, and she worked for a high fashion brand, but if someone put time in her diary and didn't give her an agenda, it would get, it would fill her with anxiety. And so when we did the profile, it just helped her to realise actually having that knowledge, going in prepared for something, felt a lot more comfortable to her. So instead of fighting it and feeling like she needed to be this kind of reactive person at work, she just started saying, if someone put time in her diary, she just emailed them and said, can you just drop, drop me a line to say what it is you want to discuss? Because that's her person. So once she learned that about herself, she could just work with it and and therefore just lost a lot of anxiety in her day by adding that little kind of tool into her into her daily life that made things a lot more comfortable because then she could prepare and she felt like she was doing doing a good job and it's just knowing who you are and like leaning into it and not kind of fighting it which I think we can do when we're comparing ourselves to everyone else in our team and like you said right at the beginning of this like when you see someone else and you think oh I kind of want a bit of that but actually that's not your personality type that's not your kind of where your strengths are so instead of that leaning into who you are and what you want and you'll feel so much happier at work yeah the way I think of personality types I know I don't know if this is a bit weird and a bit obtuse or not but we are all dogs aren't we if we look at ourselves as humans and dogs let's just use dogs as the analogy there's different there's different breeds of dogs. You have your yeah. greyhound, which is a super fast sprinter, and then you've got you, you know your Rottweiler, who's a, a guard dog. You've then got your little whippets as well, and German shepherds, etc., etc., etc. You've got your Labradors that love the water, and other breeds that don't. And it's a case of saying, well, actually, we are all dogs. 
we like different things. And what sometimes happens, as you as you just alluded to, is that the greyhound will be like, yes, I'm super quick, but I want to be a, a home protector like the Rottweiler. And it's like, well, actually, you're very good at this thing. Why not actually explore that option rather than saying, you know, I want to be a, a fish climbing a tree, essentially. Yeah. Um, have you heard of something called Ikigai, by the way? No. What's that? Uh, so it's a Japanese thing. I think you really oh, like sorry. it. Is that the three faces? No, so it's um, it's like a, a wheel thing that has like things that I could be paid for, things that the world needs, um, things that I enjoy doing. And there's a fourth part as well. And within that sort of Venn diagram, it works into like an Ikigai, which is like your ultimate purpose. And I tried to do this exercise and it's actually very difficult. Yeah. Like with what, what, you, what you're doing, it's, like the same, it's basically the same thing. It's very difficult to actually pick something because your mind tries to, to pick other answers that it thinks are more beneficial to you. If you take, like, I'll give myself as an example. So I went to university, did um, accounting and finance. I had a few other options, but I picked accounting and finance based on the future financial steady income reward. That mm. overplayed everything else. And I think what you're saying is that that should maybe not come into the equation too early on? It shouldn't be the... I'm not saying it should or it shouldn't, actually. It's just whether or not for you it was the right primary driver for it. And the one thing that I love about the... From your description, although I'm now intrigued and going to have to go and do it, but the guys, is there's no one job. There's not one career that is the career. You're built up of lots of things and skills and strengths and things you enjoy and all those other things I've talked about so it's more about finding different careers that you can do within that now I have two jobs one is a coach talk to people one-to-one and I run a business the second I do is write research reports and conduct primary research and do evaluations for a charity like very very different but both pull on my my skills and my strengths for different things which means not to add more confusion to the whole thing, but there is no right or wrong job. There's just kind of what's driving you at that time as well. So for for some people, one of the primary drivers might be financial stability, but that might be more or less important at different stages in your life. So choosing a career at a time where you maybe don't have a mortgage or kids and being an entrepreneur at that stage might feel a bit easier. And it just might change the way that you do it, but it doesn't mean that there are not more than one option. So people like change careers multiple times. It's not that you just need that one and it needs to be that. I always say to my clients, like try and work on a five-year kind of trajectory because you'll always learn and grow within that. It doesn't mean that you're going to switch and always be at the same level. You'll still grow in terms of your professional development. But, you know, focus on learning something for the next five years rather than thinking that it needs to be forever because our careers, like you alluded to earlier, they're not how they used to be in that sense that you are a builder and you're a builder. So just focus on that and taking that pressure off can often help as well. Like you've already changed, right? You started in finance and accountancy and now you're doing multiple things. You're coaching, you're doing a podcast and it's just about, and you might change again. It's not about that that was the wrong job and this is the right job necessarily. It just means that that's not necessarily the right fit. This is, and maybe there's other things you could do that, could weave both of them in together like there's lots of options I think that's 
something that's really important to not think, you know, we always, when people don't like their job, they kind of want someone to say, this is what you should do instead. But this is the advice I'm giving. This is the job that you should do. And actually there's not really a right or wrong. And, you know, I have some clients that come back to me. I, I had a, um, a guy caught up with him. I think he's, he's living in Brazil now. And he said he tried a job and applying all the things he learned about himself could recognize what did work and what didn't work and what was aligned and what wasn't and has now shifted because he's applied it and that's also okay he's he's had fun teaching I think in Brazil for a year whilst learning this stuff so he's now doing something completely different so it's just trialing and testing and knowing there's not just one option yeah, I think a couple of things that, that you said there that I think is, is is great, really. One is that, as you said about the, I know you mentioned the word funnel earlier, but I think this is a good a good way to use the funnel again, is that you try different things and you realise this isn't for me, this isn't for me, and you end up with a much smaller margin of things that you enjoy doing and your values and, as you said, your, your purpose, your passion, what you're good at, and you've then got a much smaller amount of options. And I think... Which is which is obviously helps you, doesn't it, to to determine what you're going to do. I think the other thing that has changed massively versus before, where you were a builder for life, is what's called skill stacking. I don't know if you're familiar with the term, where it's like you might be someone who is good at IT, you, you're a programmer, but you also speak Italian, French, and Spanish, and it's like who else in the world has got those specific skills, and what? business could I start or what niche could I use do you find that that's the case for people that you speak to they have got a very unique set of skills that you need to help them develop and move forward with everyone comes definitely with a unique set of skills because everyone's got their own experience um I don't necessarily help them develop it because they've already got it but I definitely would say help them to recognize that because people don't think that they're unique I think which is a real shame when they go to that interview they don't really know their USP, which is everyone, you know, when I set up a business, I remember my business coach saying to me, like, you don't, you're not just a newly qualified coach. You've got eight, nine years of working with coaches. You've got a master's degree in psychology. Like all of that experience is your skill lacking and actually owning that and recognizing it and not just saying, because I'm changing careers that, well, I don't know what I'm doing because I don't, I can't do those things. I don't know what those acronyms mean. And I don't understand that job description. It's, it's just not about that. You can learn so much of that. And actually a lot of the time it's just like corporate jargon or just kind of terminology in a field, but it's not complex. It's not difficult to learn. It's just puts people off so much because they're not necessarily sure what that is but they're not recognizing the wealth of experience and those skills that they've got where they can speak multiple languages and that they've got an IT background or whatever it is, you know, finance. And so sometimes it is about thinking about, even with yours, when you were saying it, I was like, I wonder if you've ever thought about being like financial advisor, where it's maybe if you enjoy coaching and you enjoy speaking to people, and this is me just piecing a puzzle together, but if you enjoy podcasts and, and coaching, I wonder if there's a role that combines finance with that, where you use both strengths and your skills together combined, and there's potentially a role out there. And I think that's something that sometimes people think, you know, it's one or the other. And that's, you know, I've got a client, like I said, the one earlier, she's in corporate, in um, like growth, um, and then a Pilates, doing a Pilates instruction as well. Like really different, but you can do both at the same time as well, which is slightly different, but slightly similar. 
But I think it comes back to what you said earlier, is that one is maybe skills that you've developed through employment, et cetera, and something that you, you know, you've been holding on to this boiling pot for so long, you don't want to let go because you've earned this ability to earn this 50, 60, 70, 100 grand salary. You don't want to give up that three, four, five grand a month to start something, even though you love it, you want luxuries that go that go with it. I think there's also a case of your image to other people because you know so many people and like, well, you used to be this and now you're this. It's, do you want to be happy and authentic to yourself or do you want to look good to, to other people and the keeping up with the Joneses um, side of things? Do you find that sometimes clients have that perception as well? Yeah, it's a real tricky one because I totally get it. And it's, it's a tricky one in that it's society's pressure for sure. But just because that, it doesn't take it away. Just because you know that it doesn't sometimes feel any better. But also, um, oh, it's gone. It, it's also a pride thing. Like when I talk about my job, I want to be proud of what I do. But I for me, that's a values-led thing. So I like telling people I'm a coach because I help people. I help people change their lives. I help people get out of really shit situations. So it's a combination that's really tricky to navigate in that, firstly, it's society, which, but it doesn't mean it's not there for a lot of people. And so it's whether or not, it depends how important it is to you as to how much you're going to let that change and influence your decision or your situation. But also if it is, being okay with that as well. If that's what if that's influenced your decision and you're going to go into that career, cool. Are you going to be okay with that in three years' time doing that job partly because of the title? I love that because I think you've got to be proud about what you what job you do. Not people ask, oh, what are you? Oh, I'm this and that. And I've had that in the past where a lot of people ask me and I'm like, yeah, I'm this. And I'm like, it doesn't really resonate, it doesn't fall in line with who I think I am. Um, yeah. it's 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 such a difficult one. Like I spent years doing these sort of tests, like Icky Guy and um, Myers Briggs and Disc, as you said, and all these other things, and trying to work out exactly what it is that you want to do, and asking yourself those questions. Well, where where do I want to live? Do I want to work from home? Do I want to be in an office? What do I want to work by myself or with a team or whatever? And I think once you've answered those questions, it's easier to make your decision. So on that vein, if someone was to start today and they've listened to this conversation saying, do you know what, actually, I am in the wrong career or I do want to start something else. What are the first one, two, three, four, five things you think they should do to start that process? I think the thing you just said is a really good place to start. In terms, I call them your non-negotiables and they're not always non-negotiable. They're often on a sliding scale, but thinking about the fundamentals like they're the easiest play easiest to start with it's not you know where do you want to live what kind of salary do you want to take what team size do you want to be part of do you want it what culture do you want to be part of you know is that good work-life balance do you want to be shift work do you want to be nine to five and then thinking about the things that you enjoy because even if you don't transition and move to a new career knowing the things that light you up and don't light you up you can do more of that in your current job, which will often ease the kind of situation in the immediate. So it's always not, it's not always about changing jobs. I think like something you just said then triggered it for me is that 
I being a coach, I might coach two, three hours a day, a couple of days a week, whatever it might be. But it's about finding the other parts of whatever it is you're doing. Like, you know, you're a coach, you're also a podcast host. And it's about thinking about what you enjoy and then doing more of those things, which is really simple in theory. But, you know, if you enjoy being part of a big team and you're not, is there a integrate yourself into another team within the organization? So the first thing is breaking it down to what you want, your non-negotiables. The second then I would say is break down what you do and don't want in a job um kind of what lights you up what fills you with purpose what does fulfillment look like what does success look like and then I would say think big and explore jobs and just brain dump them because a lot of the problem is the overwhelm of how many jobs there are but you've got a whole bank in your head of jobs that you could do start there stop looking externally for job options for different situations and speak to people like build a picture of those different roles by talking to people have a conversation what is actually being a coach like test some of those limiting beliefs that you've got that are holding you back and test some of those assumptions and and break that confirmation bias that you've got that's saying doing that is difficult or I couldn't do that because or I'd like to do that but and start to change that language and think Ooh, what could I do? Because when you start to start to change that language and that confirmation bias, you'll start to see a lot more. But make sure you put it on paper, otherwise it can be quite overwhelming. <laughs> yeah, then that, yeah, I think language is massive. And we could probably go on a two-hour rant about language. But <laughs> if you say you, you want something versus saying you don't want something, it's, it's completely different yeah. in terms of how your brain sort of moves towards that. Um if people want to speak to you and, and and come down this career change path or start that business, how do they go about getting in touch with you first, first of all? And secondly, if there's anything that you feel we haven't discussed that you want to get forward and get across now as well? So to get in contact with me, my website is um, at www.achievingambition.com or to find me on Instagram or LinkedIn. I'm at Sarah Burrows or Achieving Ambition or Sarah Burrows Coaching one of the three Sarah Burrows usually um, comes up with LinkedIn drop me a message I'm more than happy to have a kind of free consultation just to chat um and is there anything I would say don't feel alone if you do think that you want to change career I think it can often feel really isolating and actually there's lots of people also feeling the same so don't think that this hasn't been done before and that you're the only person that doesn't like their job and doesn't know what else to do but there is plenty, there's a plethora of resources as well within my kind of Instagram, my social media of videos and trainings and all sorts of things and free downloads and things like that that also would be helpful for someone in this situation. Love that final message. You're not on your own. There are people in the same boat and obviously you've helped loads of them and you're taking on new passengers onto the boat to help them come off stronger on the other side. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So thanks again, Sarah. It's been a great show. Thank you very much for having me. No problem.